Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 298 of the Spoiler Alert podcast brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. I'm Danny, and I'm here with Mike, and tonight we're discussing 1975's Best Picture winner, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, starring Danny DeVito. <laughs> Mike, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. How are you doing, Danny? I am all right. You know, this was one of those those best pictures that I've been waiting for the machine to spit out at us for years and years and years. I mean, I it spat it at us, and I was excited. Yeah, I've been I've been kind of waiting to revisit this one. It's one I'd seen a number of times, but probably haven't seen in twenty years. Okay, and in the last maybe six years, I've just been waiting for the opportunity to watch it uh, for the podcast. So I was really eager to to rewatch it. Had you seen this before, or is this one you bought? 20 years ago for your collection and then not watch since or, or that, sort of where it, does it, fall it was the latter it was exactly okay. the latter yes i had seen it once before also probably been about 20 years uh but that was the only time that i'd seen oh, the movie okay. maybe i've caught maybe i've caught it you know on tv you know bits of it here and there over time because i did seem to remember it fairly well knowing that i only really sat down and watched it end to end a single time, but liked it. It was one of those movies that I saw, really enjoyed, and then just never popped in again. And I, it is sort of a cerebral movie. It's it's not like your aquarium movie that you just pop in and have in the background. And I think maybe that's the reason that I never felt compelled to to sit down and give it the focus that it probably deserves another time. So I am also very glad that yeah. we got that opportunity again. Well, this is also in the heart of the 70s. This is you know, that awesome decade where it feels yeah. like just like every movie that came out was just absolutely killing it from a quality standpoint. 1975, you had Jaws was nominated. You had Nashville. Yes. Uh, what else? Barry Dog Lyndon. Day Dog Day Afternoon. Ba- Barry yeah. Lyndon's the only one of that list that I have not seen. It's a Kubrick movie I haven't yeah. seen before. Have you seen Barry Lyndon? 25 years ago probably okay. yeah the rest of these films i've seen and enjoy nashville's a weird one but uh yes. yeah I've, I've i've liked them all but yeah i mean this era in u.s cinematic history is really really something yeah it's kind of my jam so i was i was excited to revisit it and this movie you know the the film was nominated for nine academy awards it won five and it won the big five right it won the big five picture director actor actress and screenplay right. and it was the second movie since 1934 it happened one night it, was, it happened one night which we reviewed yep. yes and then it didn't happen again till silence of the lambs in 1991 and i think that's it right i then think it was, that's it it's only the top those five. three yeah yeah i mean it, it it is such an unusual such an unusual feat to have happen because you think i mean to win best actor and best actress i mean to have two amazing performances amongst all of the films come out that have come out that year. I mean, how yeah. many times does does the acting award even go to a movie that wasn't, you know, nominated for other big awards, right? So right. Uh, th- it's a big deal when that happens. And, and certainly, you know, this movie has stood the test of time, you know, a, as a result of many things, but that being one of them. I mean, I feel like the Academy, especially in the last 10 years, has gotten so used to trying to spread the love around Right, you know where you've really got you know not only multiple best picture nominees now, but you get you know one film winning best picture, a different film winning best director, you know screenplay is like a totally off the wall choice, and then you right. might have you know supporting actor, supporting actress, actor and actress all from four different films. 
right? So right. we're getting fewer and fewer of these just like runaway, you know, uh, sort of bookcase full of award type movies like you had with Cuckoo's Nest and, and uh, Sounds of the Lambs. Yeah, I think they often try to give an award to even an acting performance. It was good, you know, probably really good. But like we we know that nothing else is that movie's not going to be honored with anything else, and it should get honored with something because it was a great movie. So we'll we'll give it to Angelina Jolie for Girl Interrupted, right? Or, right. Yeah, you know, we'll give it to Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Hillary Swank, right? Boys Don't Cry. Yes, yes. Right. It was it was yeah. a great movie, but it's not gonna not gonna win any anything else. So she's got to take it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and this of course also stars Jack Nicholson, and this is sort of the I want to say the height of his superpower but i mean he had been he was on a, on a roll. real role yeah, yeah in the late 60s yeah. and early 70s he just did chinatown he did the last detail it's nominated for both of those and then comes along this and it's just and we'll talk about it but i mean this is probably the role that that most just encapsulates his energy and really gives him the most opportunity to to show yeah. that like wild sort of uninhibited Jack Nicholson side. And then later years, you sort of, I don't say parody that, but it almost became a shtick and you hired Jack to get that shtick. And, and, but this is the one where it was like fully formed, but still raw. And I feel really authentic and exciting yes. and, and fun yeah. to watch. Completely agree. Yeah. Well, why don't you hit us up with a quick plot recap on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and then we can dig into how how it stood up for us 20 years after our most recent viewing. Yeah, sure. Uh, I will keep this tight, um, Just at, and I will spoil things, so spoiler alert. Um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is – now, the, the book is slightly different. The book is told from the point of view of one character, and it's, it's not R.P. McMurphy – but in the film, the story is largely told around R.P. McMurphy, played by Jack Nicholson. And he is a uh, sort of multiple offender in the criminal justice system. He's been arrested a number of times for assault and most recently for statutory rape of a minor. And he's at a uh, like a prison farm doing hard labor. And he's kind of a lazy, goof around, misanthropic kind of guy. And he sort of starts feigning insanity just to get out of being on the work farm. He just would rather not have to work. So the prison officials want to call BS, and so they pack him off to a mental institution for him to be evaluated. McMurphy shows up. Of course, he is met with a wild cast of characters, including Danny DeVito in a supporting role and Christopher Lloyd uh, and Vincent Schiavelli. And a number of other uh, strong uh, – Brad Dourif, another uh, n- number of strong other character actors. And these uh, you know, very sick men are living in this ward that's overseen by Nurse Mildred Ratched. So she's sort of a controlling, cold, calculated, passive-aggressive official who's there to keep control, keep order, and sort of rule these guys with an iron thumb. Well, McMurphy immediately dislikes her. He chafes against any and all authority and sort of works to get the boys in the ward sort of riled up and, and let their juices flowing. And he he brings life into the ward, but ultimately takes things too far, uh, resulting in uh, some real damage to the ward, uh, sort of a wild night with a number of the, the inmates uh, which ends in tragedy when young Brad Dourif, his character, uh, ends up committing suicide in the ward, driving 
uh, McMurphy to, to try to kill Nurse Ratched. He is ultimately lobotomized and then euthanized by a number uh, another inmate in the unit who then escapes running off into the night and into the wilderness. And that's one flew right. to the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. Man, what did you think of this one? I really enjoyed it again. I guess, you know, I said I remembered a lot from the prior movie. I didn't remember quite how how slow and procedural it really does seem to be. I mean, there's a lot. You know, the scenes don't drag on too long, but they do get a little bit repetitive. But I guess I feel yeah. like in each one of those scenes, you just realize a little bit more about some of the damage that these men have suffered or have inflicted upon others that have led them to this really sad existence that they're they're currently in. And so McMurphy arriving and trying to bring a glimmer of hope into their life that, that things could be better on the other side is, I think, a really inspiring tale. And like, I mean, you rattled off the names of, you know, this ensemble cast is really fantastic acting. I really enjoyed it. How about you? Yeah, great acting, really universally up and down the the whole cast. You know, I really enjoyed the film, but I was really struck as I watched it this time, I think how differently I perceived the film now as an adult and the fact that I'm older than Jack Nicholson's character is in mm. this movie. He's 38, I'm older than that. And um you know, last a time lot. I last time I saw this, I was in my twenties uh, or, or younger, and it's just a very different experience. You know, like my lens, I feel like into this world sure. is is really different. Um, and it was those, you know, as I always enjoyed Jack Nicholson, I love his performance. It was a lot of these quieter moments that really struck me this time, not only for him but uh, across the cast. And um, I agree that that Milos Forman, who won Best Director, he sort of it has a, a fly on the wall type of almost documentary feel for a lot of the film. And he lets some of these scenes just, you said they didn't drag on, which I agree, but he lets them linger sometimes. Sure. And you just get a lot of these little reaction shots and sort of asides. And sometimes there's periods where there's not a lot of dialogue, but characters just sort of kind of reacting and bouncing off one another that I feel like you could probably only get by just letting the camera roll a long time and just, sifting through with the editor and finding these little nuggets but yeah. uh i thought it was i think it's a, a really powerful film i think it's lovely and of course it's really sad um yeah. so i really i really dig it i thought it was a very I, mean, good I, I guess you'd classify it as a dramedy i don't i don't know what else you say i mean it's it's not laugh out loud funny i mean the ending is very very sad and very tragic um, I, I jotted, speaking of the jack nicholson performance i jotted down like you you'd mentioned you know this kind of became the the movie by which his subsequent roles were defined and he got a lot of that shtick from him. I mean, I think that him playing a mental health patient is somehow less crazy than a lot of his roles. Like, I feel like he reins it in a little bit better here than he, like it wasn't too long after this that he did the shining and there, and I mean, he goes right. completely off the wall in the shining. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you just get that, that goofball Jackisms throughout the the whole for sure. The whole thing. Yet he's doing it at about a a six and not taking it to eleven in this one. Well, he won Best Actor again in ninety seven, so what is that, twenty two years later for as good as it gets, where he played right. um somebody who's with mental health issues. Right. Um but but you're right. I, I think it's it is a really powerful performance. It's a fun performance to watch. Um 
it doesn't feel dialed up to 11. And like I said, after this, though, you sort of get this. That's why you hire him. Kind of like Pacino, right? Like you see Pacino in Godfather and Godfather Part yes. 2, and then suddenly you're watching him in like The Devil's Advocate. You know, and you're like, what is going on here? Like, what happened to this guy? Why is he shouting all the time? Like, you used to be this master of subtlety, and now it's like just off the wall antics all the time. And this is Jack Nicholson when he was, it, it seems like he was just much more pure and real and, I don't sure. know, honest or something. Although I will also say, you know, he's playing a character who ostensibly is sort of pretending to be somewhat crazy just to get out of work. Right. But he makes all these decisions that that I was honestly as I'm watching this, I was thinking, is he mentally ill? Because he's making so many bad decisions <laughs> that he's either the most selfish character I've ever seen on screen and like to the exclusion of any other human or he's got real problems. Right. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take much for him to, you know, decide to to vault the fence and steal a bus <laughs> and break the guys out. And then not only does he break them out, he picks up some friend of his, some woman, and then they all go steal a boat. And he's just like letting one of the mental patients drive the boat so he can go have sex with the woman. I mean, while the guys all watch. I mean, it just was like, oh, boy. And that's like it's also portrayed as sort of like a funny, sweet outing. And I think this is not good. This is not this is not good decision making. I really loved that scene, though. I love that he's he can't understand why this group of guys. And by the way, the supporting cast, again, I think they hold their own right next to Nicholson. I mean, I I think that they're they're fantastic as a group. But I love that scene because I love that he's just trying to give them this gift. He can't understand why half these guys are there voluntary. Right. They haven't been committed. They're there of their own volition. And he cannot possibly understand why you'd continue to be under the thumb of this horrible nurse bureaucratic awful woman and i i love that he's just like you you haven't been fishing you need to see the world like we need to get out of these four walls right and and i think you know maybe they did maybe they didn't who am i to assist with a mental health diagnosis but you know, they came back no worse for the wear, broke a lot of laws along the way. I mean, not good decision making, but I really do enjoy that scene. I think that the screenplay in general, I just really like. Of course, it's based, it's adapted, it's based on a novel by Ken Casey. Yep. Uh, I've never read the book, but having seen the movie twice now, it seems like a book that I I should have been assigned in high school English or something like that. Yes. It seems like a book that you should have read then. Uh, along with, you know, 1984 and Animal Farm and whatever. This should have been on the list. Well, and the, I really love the screenplay. Yeah, and the book is is told from the point of view of Chief, the the, oh, okay. the tall, the large Native American inmate who everyone believes is deaf and dumb until we find out later that he is, of course, not. He's pretending just so he doesn't have to engage with anybody and can just quietly just sit on the Those sidelines. But he's the narrator. It's his story. That's so. It does make me want to read the book, and that's why yeah. the author has disavowed this the screenplay in the film. Said he never watched it. He tried to sue the filmmakers oh, because, from his standpoint, they they screwed the whole thing up because it's it's Chief's story, and here they made it all about McMurphy. And so I I think I feel like I, I probably should try and read the book because I'd be really interested. Um, and I got to say that 
you know, the two things that impacted me the probably the most watching the, the film, I mentioned one of them earlier is I was really struck that his character is 38 years old. And it just really like – it was like a sock to the nuts watching this thing because for me, Jack Nicholson has always seemed old. Yes. You know, like – And he looks old in this movie. He looks old. <laughs> he but looks like, you know, when I was young, I saw this movie when I was younger and again, he's always been this old actor, right? This from another generation or a couple generations older than me. Yeah. And so when I realized like, holy cow, I'm older than he, now than he is as this character, like something really – that was like a very strong – not nostalgia, but some, like, I don't know. I had an emotional reaction to, to that. Just feeling like, wow, like this guy who's always been old, I am now older than, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. and maybe I'd feel the same watching, you know, child actors who were children when I was, you know, now. And as they get older, like it won't, it'll be hard for me to take them seriously as adults. Cause they'll always be kids to me. I see. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'm getting too deep here. And then the other big <laughs> scene that really struck me was the one where Randall and chief, so when Chief sort of admits that he can hear and he yeah. can talk, I mean the power of that very quiet scene and Nicholson's reaction and how it seems like he genuinely likes Chief. Oh, and totally. totally. And he's just like, flabbergasted. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, you yeah. old such and such. And he's like, they immediately <laughs> make plans to leave and go to Canada together. It's like it's just really a lovely, lovely moment. Of yeah. course, it's right before you know they each get electric shock therapy. Right. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, sort of strange timing for that scene, but I, I those two like are the ones that I had like the the biggest response to in the whole film. Yeah, no, oh, that's great. Um, you know, there's very little that I actually disliked in the movie. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot to hit here. I I even mentioned that I liked the score. I I, I usually need to comment on the score, and I think it's so weird and kind of eerie. It's it, it gives a, it gives a movie with an with with just a slightly unsettling feeling throughout. A little more a little more of that flavor, just just a little more unsettling. The weird kind of instruments that they have in this score yeah. that they use quite sparingly, you know, th- throughout as well. Um, but I really, the party scene that, I mean, when McMurphy really jumps the shark and decides that he should have hookers come to the ward and bring booze and he, he you know, tips the the overnight guard to let them in, etc. The girls who show up are just, like... Like in such an awesome ensemble cast, they are ciphers. They just sit around and giggle, and it's so they're it's so banal. That whole that whole interaction is just really frustrating to me. Yeah, and I agree. And I feel like for me, it also went back to: Would anyone really make this decision? Like, is he so myopically focused on himself and having a good time that he thinks bringing? alcohol into this ward for these guys many of whom are absolutely very very ill you know and and then not only do they all like get trashed they get trashed and then they trash the place like he also has to know even if even if in his heart of hearts he thinks he's escaping that night with chief they trash trash the nurses station they like destroy the ward there's like stuff all over the wall stuff is destroyed he has to know these guys are going to catch hell the next day like he's absolutely right. making these decisions that like everybody else in this room is going to is going to be is gonna pay, is, yeah he's going to pay for it dearly and I guess he's just out the door and like same with like let me let Billy here get laid by one of these women like that can't end poorly like of course it's going to end ter- <laughs> like it just that's why I was so like maybe he is just mentally ill because who yeah. else makes decisions this poorly. 
Plus, I mean, you can you can kind of get with him on the the point of they need a field trip. They need to be on a boat. They need some fresh air. Like they need like okay, like they need to see outside these walls. But what guy is thinking, you know what they need? They've been on this regimented diet and 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 medi- and strict medications administered every day. They really need a bunch of alcohol. Like, like right. what guy actually thinks that any part of that was a good decision? Well, you know, you you say he thinks they need an outing. Everybody else on that bus was allowed to leave. They all were escorted <laughs> onto the bus. He's the one who had to jump the fence and hide in the bus until they got on board and steal it. So I didn't take that to be like this magnanimous, like he's doing something for the boys. It's like they were his ticket out of here. They were already getting a field trip. Now, their field trip, I'm sure, would not have been as much fun as stealing right. a boat with McMurphy and some <laughs> floozy. But that, and that's what they got. But it, it's not like he was just like, oh, I love these poor schmucks. I'm going to show them the time of their lives. It was like – Okay. All right. <laughs> like – you took it a little it was, differently. It was a prison break. It was just, yeah, I mean, for, for him, he was just getting out. I love that you used the word floozy. That it's a word you well, don't she, hear often. She's enough. very much a floozy. I mean, that character yeah. you call her. I mean, ciphers, but it's like they are there in the screenplay to be like easy bimbos. Bimbos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the type of woman who who a guy shows up who's been in prison for statutory rape comes by your trailer and says, hey, I want you to join this bus of mental patients with me. And she's like, cool, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Maybe we should steal a boat and or I'll bring a friend and we'll all get loaded at the mental hospital. That takes a special kind of lady, I think. I think the only other thing that I really, I struggled with a bit, and it has to do with the writing, is I could never really tell if Murphy was actually trying to escape. If he got on the bus and found his bimbo and, like, got out on the boat, like, couldn't he have, like, just docked that boat anywhere and run the hell away and been like, I'm sure you guys will get picked up soon. You're free to take the boat back if you want. Like, he had so he had the keys at one point. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, he had... He had the overnight guard getting laid in the nurse's station. I mean, he could have made made a break for it at that point. Like, I never really could tell. He seemed he seemed to get there because he thought it would be an easier sentence, and then he finds out that no, he's committed. He's there forever. So then he just needs to escape. And Canada's the goal. Like, why is he still there? Why, no, why is yeah, he partying overnight? Right down to the end. Like, right, he's on his way out. He said his goodbyes, and then they decide to let Brad Dourif's character spend some quality time with one of the floozies and he's sitting there by the window and the next thing we know it's daylight and they've all fallen asleep like yeah you're about to escape you're you're on your way you're like climbing out a window and then you pause and then the next thing you know you're just asleep on the floor and you're like oh shoot i forgot to escape i agree (laughs) it feels like you just escape you just get out (laughs) right uh so i agree What's up with, and this might be my only what's up with, because again, the cast is great. There's lots of little funny moments and you can say what's up with this. But for me, the biggest what's up with is probably Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratched. She, her like dead stare is great. And I think she, I think she deserved her Academy Award. She's a great actress and it's a, it's a, a strong role. But what's up with Nurse Ratched always showing up on like the AFI's list of like top villains? Yeah, I know. She's like number five. She's like, I think she's either right above or right below either Hannibal Lecter or Norman Bates. I don't think 
Like, would you put her there? She certainly no. seems like a jerk. She certainly seems like she's she's controlling and she is, you know, like a stick in the mud. And she she has these very tight rules. But like, I almost found myself empathizing with her character in that it's a tough gig. A lot of these yeah. guys seem like they're quite a handful, and it's I, her and some twenty-year-old nurse trying to keep the peace and keep the the schedule and order. And and not that I want to defend her, but I was like, I guess I. She seemed like a villain when I watched this movie in my twenties, and now I just felt like, yeah, she's a jerk. But I think top five. I villain? think it has to do with just the subtle, nuanced way that she's able to exert her will. Uh, the way, like, I mean, there's a meeting that happens between her and some physicians or, or, or psychologists and, you know, McMurphy, where, like, she's clearly in charge in the room. I mean, almost discredits the doctors in there. And, I mean, I guess I ultimately think that the tragic ending is at the be- is at her behest. Not only no the, doubt. the youth euthanizing that occurs and, and lobotomy that preceded it, but, I mean, Billy's tragic suicide is is certainly her, her evil threat to tell his mother i mean she knows exactly what bu- button to push with each one of these men and i mean i i do think she's an evil woman but i i agree with you like she is always at the top of that list now there's this netflix series based on that character solely we're getting like probably a backstory on her or right. something i right i uh yeah I, I mean i think that's why but but it is a good What's up with What's up with Jack Nicholson being a thirty eight year old character in this movie, yet looking horrible compared to like his later films? Like I feel like he aged gracefully, uh, as good as it gets. A few good men, even like something's got to give. He was a better looking man than he was in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars and and like almost universal acclaim and adulation will probably help yeah, that'll ease do that for you. the burden yeah. of, of aging <laughs> for right. any of us. Um, what, yeah. What's up with that alcohol that the floozies brought? What was that? Like, the, the, these guys are drinking it at some point, and it is like beet red. It looks like beet juice. It is, it is something nothing to see. I'd seen I, before. I could not understand what, what was in those bottles, yeah. And they're like feeding it to like the bedridden guys. Like yeah, through yeah, a tube, right. and I thought, oh right. man, this this nothing good. This guy can can't even get out of bed. Yet you're getting him loaded. Ay ay ay. What's up with nobody in that ward wearing masks? Like, do you do you look at a movie now and see groups of people close together, even though it's at a different time, and like it looks weird? Do you like when when everybody on the news is wearing a mask? When like when when just any television now people have to wear masks? Doesn't that seem odd to you? Like it, it just it it struck me when I saw them all. Especially being in a, a hospital, sitting close together, nobody's wearing a mask. The nurses aren't even wearing masks. It was weird to me. I get that with, with crowd scenes. I sort of think, well, this couldn't be shot right now. This is a super spreader event. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But none of us will be doing this for a while. <laughs> uh, but no, I wasn't struck by the, by the masklessness. But I was struck by... Uh, you know, again, the the sort of naturalistic direction and writing and the, the flow of the screenplay and the editing where, you know, you just get such a sense of each guy's character, even though some of them – there's a guy named Scanlon with a big beard who I don't think has a word of dialogue. But, like, uh, I get the, yeah, right, I get the right. sense of his character 
Yeah, you yeah. know, sort of powerfully, even though he doesn't utter a word. And and Chief, right. of course, says very, very, very little. Um, but he's a major character, and I was really engaged with Chief. So I, you know, what's up with with that? And how have we sort of lost that ability? I don't know if it's just audiences don't have the patience to sit and watch characters and take it in anymore, or if filmmakers are trying to appease to such a appeal to such a global audience that you have to spell everything out just in case it's it doesn't easily translate, you know, across cultures or something. But I, I can't think of too many films like this that are shot this way these days. And certainly yeah, none that would I be as, as successful as this was. This made like a, yeah. like $120 million in 1975. Yeah. I mean, this was a huge hit. This, this wouldn't even make like this, like the, um, spirit awards these days. Yeah. Right. I, I agree. Yeah. Agrees. But are you ready for five questions? Sure. Yeah, I'm right. We've got we've got five listener submitted questions for one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and we've touched on this kind of in our dis- discussion of Ratchet. But was Louise Fletcher's Nurse Ratchet character evil enough for her to take a clear supporting role all the way to the Best Actress Oscar? I don't think it was evil enough. Again, I I'm just struggling. Like, how evil is she versus? She's just really trying to exert control over a, a difficult yeah. situation. I, again, I agree. I, she knows all the buttons to push, and she does it, and she keeps her thumb very firmly on all of them, and she does not like Randall McMurphy. But I think some of those dead stares, again, where the camera yeah. is just looking at her, and it looks like she's just looking right through these guys, those gave me chills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I thought Agreed. she did a great job. And it's typically directed at McMurphy. Like, that's usually the... The, oh, for the sure. Yeah. Object of her ire. Yeah. Uh, question number two. If you were to be committed, what would it be for? Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm sure I have a touch of OCD. I'm sure I have uh, anxiety issues. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have anything that would be. I've got COVID fever. Maybe that, that would, <laughs> right. that'll become a new one, right? right? Uh, question number three. Who would you rather bone, Meg Ryan or Jack Nicholson? Jack Nicholson now or Jack Nicholson 1975? 75. Meg Ryan. Got it. All right. Well done. Does, does winning the big five at the Academy Awards perhaps artificially inflate a movie to a status beyond what it might deserve? No. No, again, I think this is a really strong film, and I think Silence of the Lambs is a very, very strong film as well. And then it I feel ha- like we liked. It I feel like we liked night. it happen one night. I remember well. that being it being okay. That one I felt okay. was more like either a dirt, you know there just wasn't a lot of other options. Sure, yeah, there's nineteen thirty eight movies out that yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so no, I, I feel like these. You know, we've had this conversation so many times when we talk about Best Picture winners. Is the, you know, is this the time capsule movie from that year that you'd you'd want people to see again i think in the 70s it's really tough to say because jaws was up this year yeah i watch jaws every year i mean this is you know there's so many great movies out in the 70s um but this one is really strong and i feel like this is one everyone should see at least once so yeah yeah yeah, it helps all right and final question the success of one flew over the cuckoo's nest allowed Foreman to direct his long-planned film version of the musical Hair in 1979. 
which understandably flopped being a full decade since that story was culturally relevant. He followed up Hair with Amadeus, a Best Picture winner that the Movie Outsiders reviewed on episode 167. Should he have called it good enough after Cuckoo's Nest? This is a, episode 167? That's what you took away from the question. That was like two years ago. A long, I know. That was, that was like two and a half years ago. Yeah. Wow. Maybe three. Wow. It's been a long, no, it's been a long time. Are you uh, going to pop that one in again tonight? I might have to dust it off. My Tom, yeah. Tom Hulse. Tom Hulch. Hulch. Hulsey. Hulsey. There's Hulsey. no way to know. There's no way to no fact way check. To know. <laughs> we can't um, check it. No, I don't think he needed to, to leave it behind. And he made other films beyond Amadeus. Beyond I mean, he Amadeus. made another Best Picture winner with Amadeus, but... He made a number of other films after that, right? I mean, he was, I don't say prolific, but he at least made plenty of other work. I remember the People vs. Larry Flint. Uh, He did Man on the Moon. I think that was like the Jim Carrey, uh, Andy Kaufman movie. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't remember. I think he did a number of other films. So, no, I don't think he should have left well enough alone. I think he, okay. I'm glad he continued to work. Now, I never saw Hair, and I have no interest in seeing Hair. So, maybe he should have left that one alone. Yeah, maybe. Right. Like, if if it's like, I mean, it's a movie all about 1969 and a musical that was like very culturally relevant and a big deal at like the height of the hippie age and a, and a Broadway sensation at the time. But then ten years later, like the country's a completely different place. Like, I don't know that we need to we need to dust that one off. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. All right. Well, that was five questions. Thank you, listeners. Thanks, listeners. Uh, you know, as far as the Academy in 1975, I feel like they did a good job. I mean, again, you, yeah. there, there were a lot of other good choices. There were a lot of other movies that year that uh, probably deserve some, some nominations. But I, I can't fault any of the wins for this film alone. Agreed. So, yeah, Agreed. they did a good job. Louise Fletcher, uh, you know, I looked up her filmography because I knew so little about her. She didn't go on to do a ton more after this. I mean, not a lot of... Uh, critical acclaim or awards buzz ever again for her, and this was pretty early in. This in was her like her career. first role, or one yeah, of her first yeah. roles. So I mean, to kind of come right out of the gates, win the Academy Award for Best Actress, that's a high bar. I gotta imagine. But, yeah, it's tough to live up to that one. Yeah, hopefully she, uh, hopefully she enjoyed the spoils of that the remainder of her career. I think I read that her husband may have been a producer on Cuckoo's Nest. If so, they probably enjoyed some of the back end. So she probably also. Well, Michael Douglas was one of the producers of the movie. Yes. Yeah, he was one of them. He was not her husband. uh, Okay. For the record. Yeah. Well, coming up next, we we are going to watch Jojo Rabbit. It's an Academy Award winner from last year. Taika Waititi took home the uh, screenwriting award. Right. But, you know, getting new pictures into the queue is going to be tougher and tougher as we had more and <laughs> more films pushed either to 2021 and even into 2022. The James Bond film, No Time to Die, is now into April. Dune got pushed back 10 months. How are we going to see any of these movies when they are released? Because theaters will not theaters are survive until then. Yeah, they're closing down again. Regal Cinemas shut all their is going to close all their U.S. Uh, theaters. So it is going to be tough. So we'll uh, TBD on what we're going to do. <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're going to have to like break out a list of like all Academy Award nominees like to go into tier two or something like that. Or just anything that was nominated for Best Picture maybe. We could oh boy, that could, be a, that could be a tough push. Yeah, that would be, that'd be a, a shock a lot. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> 
Cider house. All right. Well, this one, this one's in the books, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time with Jojo Rabbit. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.